Hi, this is Dan Hansen. Thanks for joining us for the latest CIO podcast. Um, we're really pleased to have Derek Hamilton, our global economist, with you to share Ivy's 2021 mid-year outlook. Um, we've got some thoughts about investing through policy and economic cycles um, and uh, perspectives on how active investors can navigate through this recovery and uh, the Fed's new framework, um, what it means for inflation, interest rates, growth. Um, and, and, um, and so to jump right in, um, gosh, it's been a whirlwind 12 months looking back. Time flies when you're living through a pandemic. We've never uh, seen an event like this in our investing um, careers through, through, through multiple market cycles at this point. Um, it was just a year ago in our 2020 mid-year outlook, we used the tagline dog years of investing to summarize the, the environment, just the rapidity of the economic and market cycle. So the brutal downturn of the pandemic, the, the self-imposed recessionary um, shutdown of the global economy, and then the, the opening up that we've seen um, and, and really the markets anticipating that. So the V-shaped recovery in markets, um, it, it's, it's typical of recessions in terms of a a drawdown on the order of 35% and then a full recovery and then up into the right. That's typical. What's not typical has been the rapidity, just the the um, the extreme cyclical peaks and troughs of earnings. You see that every cycle, but you don't see it compressed in weeks and months and quarters. Usually it plays out over, over uh, months and quarters and years. So um, what we wanted to do is, is uh, share our views, you know, these extreme cyclical peaks and troughs in earnings and in business performance, that is normal uh, for an investor investing through a cycle. Um, and it's unusual, the narrowness of time frame. but um, in our approach as bottom-up fundamental investors, we do think about and look at through cycle earnings power, think about valuations that we pay for that, um, and uh, really taking that through cycle view, we think provides a North Star uh, for us as active investors to find opportunity. We think equally, in this cycle in particular, taking a through cycle view on policy, um, and the Fed in particular, um, there's an evolution and some changes in the fr framework. So we'd love to um, open it up to, to Derek um, for perspectives on that evolving and changing Fed framework, the, um, the momentum and, and, and growth uh, of the economy, how resilient can that be? And then, you know, last but certainly not least, inflation. How can the inflationary forces that, that are, are on the front page every day, how's that impact as investors? So, Derek, thanks for joining today. Uh, thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. I, I really don't think that we can overlook the changes to the, the Fed's framework. So uh, towards the end of last year, I believe it was August, they went through uh, the results of their framework review. And they basically made a couple of changes that I think uh, mean that growth will be supported and that they will let the economy essentially uh, run hot. So uh, the two things I would focus on, first of all, they want inflation to average 2% over time. Uh, and previous to this, they said they had a 2% inflation target. And what they wanted was when inflation got to 2% on a forecast basis, uh, they would start to tighten monetary policy. Well, now they're saying that they want inflation to get to 2% and actually let it run above 2% for some time to try to offset the periods where inflation was running below 2%. So they're telling you that they want inflation uh, to be there and they will not tighten preemptively. The second thing that's important 
remember the Fed has a dual mandate, they want maximum employment to be what they call broad-based and inclusive. And so what they're basically saying is we are not just going to be targeting a specific unemployment rate per se, but we are going to be looking at uh, unemployment from a number of, of broad metrics that look at how are labor markets behaving in various demographic groups. So think about uh, looking at the unemployment rate by race, by education attainment, by uh, uh, income status, so on and so forth. They want uh, a broad improvement in the labor market before they would tighten. So again, you put those together, a, a, a Fed that is committed to uh, getting the labor market better on a broad basis and then saying that they want inflation to run above the 2% target, I think that means that they will intentionally be late in tightening monetary policy and want the economy to run hot. So I think that that coupled with the, the fiscal stimulus that has been put in place and the health of the consumer means that we're going to have significant support for the economy both in 2021 and 2022. Now, with regards to the consumer, I, I think it's important to look at a, a couple of the uh, metrics that that would basically illustrate how healthy the consumer looks this time versus when we were coming out of the last recession. So uh, because of the tremendous amount of fiscal stimulus that was put in place, because of the lack of opportunity to spend, uh, you know, think about the number of services that consumers could not spend on, uh, there was a tremendous amount of, of savings that was uh, accumulated since the COVID crisis began. And if you look at the savings that's been accumulated above and beyond what is, I would consider, normal, the consumer up to this point has accumulated savings of nearly $2.5 trillion. Uh, that's just a, a massive amount of spending power that they have on the sidelines. On top of that, you have net worth. So thinking about what's happened to your underlying assets, that includes properties, that includes financial assets. Net worth has risen by nearly $19 trillion since the end of 2019. If you look at consumer debt levels, debt to income remains quite low relative to recent history and the cost to service that debt is at record lows. So you have a, a consumer that is uh, flush with cash, is feeling wealthy, and has very low costs on the debt side. And oh, by the way, we are starting to see actual employment accelerate, which means that wage growth should pick up from here. So we're very confident that uh, the consumer is on a, a good footing uh, going into next year and that we think that the economy is going to continue to perform very well because of that. Now, you mentioned inflation. Inflation is something that's on everyone's minds, of course. In, in the short term, we've actually seen higher than expected inflation. A lot of that is because of the supply chain issues that have been, been, been emerging, whether it's uh, the chip shortages, whether it's uh, struggles with shipping and the cost of shipping, uh, we have delays at some ports because of COVID outbreaks. There's just a number of things that have gone into this. But if you look at the U.S. inflation data, really you're seeing a rise in inflation in a few categories and specifically in autos. If you look at the core CPI uh, for the latest month, 
of the month of June, it was up four and a half percent year over year. That's a big number. If you look at that number, excluding the autos, it was up 2.3%. So that just gives you a sense of the magnitude as to how much autos have actually added to the inflation impulse. And much of that has been driven by used car prices. We already have indications that used car prices are starting to decline on a month over month basis. And so we think that uh, we are nearing the peak in the inflation impulse. We expect that inflation on a month over month basis is going to start to become much more uh, better behaved. The year over year rate is going to remain relatively elevated, but we think that the, the fear around inflation in the short term because of that month over month momentum is going to start to wane. Now, having said all of that, we are believers that inflation is going to come back in a sustainable way in this cycle. And we think it's going to come back relatively soon. So in the short term, we see inflation starting to peak out, but the combination of the fiscal stimulus, the amount of cash that's on the sidelines for the consumer, and then a Fed that is different this time and basically saying that they are not going to tighten preemptively means that we believe that inflation is going to start to reaccelerate uh, later in 2022. And so uh, that is uh, a key difference, I think, in our view versus uh, some others that in the short term we see inflation uh, coming down. But the the fact that it looks like we are going to um, have a, a significantly uh, robust economy through 2022 as well, uh, coupled with a very strong labor market, means that that inflation is going to come back relatively rapidly. Uh, well, thank you, Derek. That covered um, an immense amount of the of the landscape. And just pulling it together, what's your outlook then for for Fed actions and for you know bond market implications? Yeah. So. After uh, the multiple rounds of fiscal stimulus that we've seen, it, it, my best guess is that the Fed starts hiking in the second quarter of 2023. Now, uh, in the June meeting uh, that they had, they pulled forward their guidance on uh, rate hikes. So uh, just for quick reference, every participant at the Fed puts a forecast in uh, to they submit it to uh, the Fed board and they basically say this is my expectation for growth for inflation for the unemployment rate and then where I think policy interest rates should be and what happened at that meeting is that there were enough people pulling forward the timing of the first rate hike that uh, it, it uh, pulled the median for that rate hike from 2024 into 2023. Now, they see two hikes in 2023. I would think that we have three hikes in 2023, but I think more importantly, if I'm right, and we have inflation uh, accelerating in the back half of next year, and the, the economy running hot, they're probably going to have to start to tighten much more quickly in out years than, than what some people may think. And so, uh, that means that, uh, you know, we could even see four hikes in 2024, which is, is more than what the market is anticipating. Uh, now, the, I would say that the risk is that we probably 
see uh, rate hikes coming sooner. Uh, we do have tapering of, of quantitative easing being discussed at the Fed right now. I, I think they probably announce the results of their taper discussions uh, sometime in the uh, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and then probably start tapering somewhere around the turn of the year, whether it's December or January, uh, and then try to taper throughout uh, 2022. But again, the risk is that they pull that uh, a little bit forward. Um, now, your question on what does that mean for markets? I think it's very important to think about uh, how markets have behaved in past cycles when the Fed has been tightening policy. So uh, a good way to think about the bond market, for example, is uh, over time, typically the 10-year Treasury yield will trade roughly in line with nominal GDP growth uh, again, over time, over a long period of time. Uh, in the last cycle, uh, the 10-year traded uh, quite a bit below that uh, that nominal GDP growth rate. But I, under my scenario, nominal GDP is actually set to accelerate in this cycle relative to last cycle. So I, I believe that we're going to see nominal GDP growth of something like four to four and a half percent going forward. It averaged roughly three and a half percent in the last cycle. And so under that scenario, a 10-year yield at 1.3% seems inconsistent with a four to four and a half percent nominal GDP growth profile. Now, with regards to the equity market, uh, a lot of people focus on when is the Fed's first rate hike. And, and I think that is the wrong way to look at it. To be sure, we have periods where we have corrections in the equity market uh, throughout the economic cycle, and, and sometimes markets do uh, have to digest when there is a shift in Fed policy. But if you look at economic cycles and the way that equity markets behave, typically equities do not truly peak until the end of the cycle. And what essentially happens is that the economy overheats, the Federal Reserve has to come in and tighten much more severely than what anyone thought, they end up over tightening and create a recession. And that's when you have earnings uh, starting to uh, roll over, uh, decline in earnings, weak GDP growth, that typically marks your peak in equities. So uh, look for when is it that uh, we are at the end of the, the cycle of the economic cycle and not necessarily when will the Fed start raising rates. Um, well, thank you. That covers a good amount of ground, and and we'll just share our incremental thoughts on what this means for for fundamental investors. Um, just um, amplifying, Derek, your comment about you know staying long risk assets um, into a hike cycle. There's the old the old the old line that you know that's the Fed taking away the punch bowl. I, I think what we're talking about is, is maybe the punch bowl is not going to be quite as severely spiked as it's been for multiple years now. You know, notably March 23rd, a year ago in the pandemic, there were extraordinary um, um, policy easing in the U.S. and globally to support the markets. Some of that is going to be dialed back, but the punch bowl is still out. <laughs> the economy is robust. Um, we see underlying corporate perf uh, performance as uh, very robust and investable. And importantly, what are you paying for that asset? The price 
you're paying, we see as very investable at about a 20 multiple on forward earnings in the US and even uh, less dear valuations broadly with, um, as Derek, you know, you, you comment on the health of the consumer balance sheet, um, the same um, exist, the same situation, the same dynamic exists in the corporate sector with short up and healthy balance sheets. So we see investable markets. Um, and yet, you know, there's there's peak growth. So that's a, a angst in the market right now with the second with the reporting of the second calendar quarter. We're going to see peak prints in terms of rate of growth, whether it's earnings per share, corporate profit margin, GDP. Um, we're going to see peak year over year growth. But 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 we think with, uh, you know, we we believe the outlook remains um, very positive in terms of sustained tailwinds for uh, for profit growth and uh, uh, earnings growth going forward um, that, uh, again, the balance is to an investable market. Um, we do want to acknowledge, though, there's been you know, it's been a, a wild ride. If you look at the past 18 months, you've had some some real extremes between the um, the prior peak of the prior economic cycle and market cycle, a, a, a full um, dozen years post-financial crisis of expansion, um, I, you know, with prior market peaks uh, across U.S. and global asset classes in mid-February of 2020, um, a really dramatic drawdown um, in, in, in markets until the bottoming in the U.S. on March 23rd. Um, which um, was was set by policy actions, creating confidence around a recovery. In that recovery, we've had uh, a handoff between extreme leadership by growth businesses that that really didn't miss a beat through the pandemic. In some cases, businesses accelerated digitalization as an example, and you saw corporate profits um, expand in those sectors. So the growth market surged um, while value took a back seat. Well, when the vaccines were approved in early November um, of 2020, you you saw a, a dramatic rotation with cyclical value sectors surging forward. Um, subsequently, and more recently, you've had growth reassert itself. Um, my my point in, in in kind of that trip down memory lane is that through a narrow lens of whether it's a few months or quarters, you, you, your head can spin from the dramatic um volatility and movement of different sectors if as we step back though and again embrace that through cycle view we're looking for businesses that through a cycle um expand their earnings power and in franchises if you look at the performance the corporate performance and the broad market performance through a cycle um it, it creates a north star we think for for fundamental investors and if you look at the market returns um from that prior uh, cycle peak of February uh, of 2020, you have on the order of the low 30% returns, total return for the broad market as illustrated by the S&P. You have some differentiation between growth and value, but it's much less dramatic than in those sub-periods. And uh, we note that that is over uh, more than a year. So if you annualize that, you're, 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 we think at more um, sustainable levels. And, and the bottom line is we think that through cycle peak to present returns um, from February 2020, we think they're robust, but we don't think they're extreme. So we don't see a market that's over its skis um, in a way that's irrational or unduly exuberant. We think it's a market that is robustly uh, responding to strong fundamentals. Um, again, in recapping on a forward basis, we see a 20 times PE, that's equivalent to a 5% earnings yield. 
which in a world of low yields, um, globally, you still got 12 trillion of global bonds um, having negative yields. As Derek, uh, as you alluded, you've got U.S. Treasury yields, uh, low single digit. Um, that earnings yield, we think, is attractive for businesses that um, continue to have a flywheel of growth. Um, I guess our last point, though, is to uh, beware complacency, um, be bottom up, um, and follow the evolving rules of the game. So if you think about, you know, uh, 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 as risk appetites um, um, flourish with, with continued market performance, there are areas of speculative froth. We've cited cryptocurrencies, SPACs, meme stocks, um, you know, crowded retail stock trades as an example. Um, they can be hazardous and, and are disconnected to the fundamentals in our view. Um, and, and we think the North Star is, again, through cycle performance, driven by management teams um, of integrity, driven by high quality business models that serve their clients. And, um, and that, we think, will prove to be enduring, just as the Fed is evolving its toolkit. And Derek talked about some of the dynamics there. We're seeing an administration in Washington taking a, a different stance, a proactive stance about regulation, about antitrust, about the area of ESG. So, um, you know, Milton Friedman famously said, you know, the, the social responsibility is to make a profit so long as they play within the rules of the game. And we just, as as engaged investors, the rules of the game mean you 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 have your you're attenuated to to politics, you're attenuated to social license to operate. Any trust scrutiny is an example of the response that some of these really um, financially high quality business models that have come to dominate the market indices um, are under greater scrutiny. And so we think that's the opportunity for active investors to engage on a bottom-up basis, understand the business model, understand is it a management team that's attenuated to their customers? And again, um, is it a valuation that's rational? We do think bottom line um, that we are, you know, in a clearly a new cycle established by the COVID downturn and, and the resurgence. Um, and while it's been um, a really pronounced dramatic recovery in markets, we think the fundamentals support that, that the valuations um, create an environment uh, that, that favors active investing. And so um, that's our stance today as we take stock mid-year. We appreciate everybody tuning in and look forward to uh, continuing the dialogue. Um, with that, we'll wrap on our mid-year update and uh, wish all the best. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objective will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, 
is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, Reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts. Macquarie Group refers to the Macquarie Group Limited and its subsidiaries and affiliates worldwide. Delaware Funds by Macquarie refers to certain investment solutions that Macquarie Investment Management distributes, offers, refers, or advises. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect to the obligations of these entities unless otherwise noted.